Good morning, church family, and uh, welcome to the Lord's Day here at Evergreen SUV. It is the Lord's Day, and uh, we celebrate. And the Lord's Day represents Christ's resurrection, the things we sung about. We believe that all creation gets back into its order because of the first Lord's Day when Christ was resurrected. And uh, so I got an announcement. Um, we've been talking about one or two services, and you know, just after processing with the leadership, and it's been neat because I see how the Lord has grown our church. We are, this is a team-led church. Although I'm serving as a senior pastor, being able to process it with the staff, the pastoral staff, the entire church board. On July 21, I was able to talk about it with the, at the membership meeting and ask for any input. And as we prayed about it, it just dawned on me. We're just beginning our transition. We just begun. This is a whole new thing. And yes, we've been in this for three months, but we just begun. And in order to establish church culture, I believe, and it's just, in my conviction, it's best to stay at one for a season, for, for, for this time. And let me explain why. Let me explain why. In, in, any, in any team that I've been a part of, Unless that the unity of vision is clear and grasped upon, we'll go around in circles. We'll be busy. But unless we grasp the why we are here, we're not going to go anywhere. And the whole idea is this. Do we have a Christ-centered culture here at Evergreen SGV? And as I read, let me just read to you a verse that just haunts me in a good way. Not a, Hebrews 13, 17. The author Hebrews gives instruction to uh, a church in Jerusalem, but also the, uh, to, talks about to elders, obey your leaders, talking to their church, and submit to them. Why? Why should you submit to the leaders and to the, the directions of their leadership? For they keep watch over your souls. Do you feel the weight on that one? They, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them, that's the leadership, do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So, you know, I guess there's two parts of that one. It's like, yes, let's submit to leadership. But for me, I'm thinking, all right, I am going to be held accountable for everyone who's committed a part of Evergreen SUV. And as I just kind of assess for the last two years, this is just your pastor's perspective. I could be wrong. Really think and evaluate for yourself. I see um, many reasons, perhaps splintered reasons for being here. Not a unified fist, but different reasons. For Perhaps it's the emphasis on family life that you might be here. Emphasis on marriage, raising children. Perhaps it's your moral obligation. I went to church. I did my commitment to the Lord for the week. Now I'm off doing something else on the Lord's day. Perhaps that's what it is. Perhaps you just enjoy the safe and clean environment that this church has to offer, which is great. This is a wonderful place. You know, maybe sports or basketball is what brought you in here. So as you think about it, I really want us to really think about and pray, Lord, why am I here at Evergreen SGV? Why am I a part of this body? Pray about this. How do I see the Lord's day? How do I view the day that the Lord has dedicated to be kept holy? 
And I'm going to ask the question, what makes Evergreen SGV distinct? I like that word, distinct. It's clear, distinct, different from the world. What makes Evergreen SGV so shocking? Like, whoa, to the San Gabriel Valley. What would make us so distinct, so shocking to the rest of the world? It has to be one answer alone. Is this, that you and I have a profound love for Christ Jesus. That's what separates believers from non-believers. Because quite frankly, family, clean and safe environment, sports, being around nice people, even non-believers want that too. Trust me, even non-believers appreciate and want that too. But we're not in that business. We're in the business of growing our souls to become more like Christ. This is the Lord's Day. And, uh, and, and like I said, it, just in my, I don't have a chapter and verse on why we're going to one service. You know, if it was a chapter and verse, that would be easy. This was a challenging one. I, I processed this out with many people, many brothers and sisters, in particular the leadership of our church. And what we've been talking about, this is about unity, not necessarily community. Unity means uni, unified mind, unified heart, unified vision. Therefore, I could have genuine Christian fellowship. If we're getting together just to get together, we're not really unified. Community will happen at the branch level. Community will happen, I would encourage you to join the branch, the adult church school hour. Community will happen serving with one another. This is when this happens. And so our pastors have been charged to grow these areas of branch life, adult education, among other things. We're working on that. We're, we're, we're just starting out. And it's not because, like, it's, it'll be easier for the pastors, okay? <laughs> it's, that's not the reason. I mean, it was very tempting for me. I'm a brand-new pastor. Why wouldn't we go back to two services? That means two services, more opportunities, more people will come. <laughs> but quite frankly, unless the culture is established, we're not going to be able to sustain that. Otherwise, we're just having people. And, I, I, and quite frankly, I feel responsible already for who we have right now in our church family. I'm happy with this group. This is the team, this is the body that God's given me to take care of amongst the pastors and the board. We're going to take care of this group here. And when God calls us to go to two, three, however many services, we will be ready then. Then we will be able to take care of those who come into our midst. You will be evangelizing, you will be discipling people to be part of this church family. And I, I have a unique role, I get it. I'm a, a, the pastor teacher of our church family, but there's only one of me. You, brothers and sisters, will be doing the work once we have dominated by who Christ Jesus is. This is a Christ-centered culture when you think about Christ constantly. In your conversations at the coffee hour, what are you talking about? In your meetings, in your gatherings, what are we talking about? Are we talking about Christ? So these are the things that I think about. you know. And, and at one time when I was a member or, or an attendee of a different church, I used to have an opinion. Pastor, what do you think about this? All right. And, you know, we talk about it, but I go, hey, I brought it up to your attention. Now it's on you. Go make a decision. Now I, I see Hebrews 13, 17 in a whole different way. I'm in charge of, I don't know how the souls are going to be. Only God knows that. But did, was I faithful in executing what I knew what to be best? And all I know that all my life has been building teams and laying down culture and this is exactly what we need, a Christ-centered culture in our church. This is what we're building for. And I'll write a leaflet to kind of explain a little bit more, but I just want to take the time to talk to us about that. I'm preaching a message today called the Lord's Day. What is the Lord's Day all about? 
And I pray that it'd be edifying. I pray this would be, uh, what, I pray this would be encouraging. I pray this would be convicting and challenging. But uh, the Lord's Day, what is the Lord's Day about where Christ made it all good again? Is that day set apart in your heart to be holy unto the Lord? Okay, so let me just pray. I'm just going to pray right now and ask the Lord to bless this time. And I'll be able to pray as, as some burdens have come upon my heart for the church family. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the church family here at Evergreen SGV. This is your church. You are the head, Jesus. You died and went to the cross to purchase us so we could be your people. You changed everything. That Sunday morning, the Lord's Day. That's why it's the Lord's Day. And you made us new again. So, Father, I pray we will have a greater profound love for you through the preaching of your word today. I pray, Lord, there will be a revival, a reformation, how we see the Lord's day. And I pray, Lord, that we would just be educated through the scriptures and with the preaching of your word, we'll be infused with your spirit so that it will penetrate our hearts so we will know you more, so we will trust you more, so we love you more. We'll become more like you. We'll be consumed with you, Lord Jesus. We'll have a Christ-centered culture here at Evergreen SGV where we know without a shadow of doubt it's about you, Lord Jesus. I like these things. These family and sports, those things are very important to me personally. But Lord Jesus, it's about you. So, Father, I pray, Lord, by the Spirit and the preaching of your word, you establish a Christ-centered culture where this place is all about you. And we go out to the San Gabriel Valley and abroad to be your people. And we come back together on the Lord's Day, every Lord's Day, to be unified, to be strengthened, to be encouraged, to be convicted, to be warned, to be empowered to do your work. Father, I pray for those right now in our church family who are caregiving for loved ones. Parents, spouses. I see so many faithful examples of this. People just loving on their family members, people who are sacrificing, people who, who are taking constant doctor's appointments, making sure medication is taken at the right time. Father, as I see my own father going through some of this, my own mother walking with her, him on this, I pray for encouragement to those of us right now in the form of a pastoral prayer that we would be encouraged, Lord. Those of us who are particularly going through would be encouraged in the body of Christ. We've come alongside as well. So, Father, we thank you. And now, Lord, I pray now, turn the attention to the sermon, how worship surrounds your, around your word. And I pray your word will be preached with power and conviction by the power of your Holy Spirit. Do a work in us today, just like how you did a work in the time of Nehemiah. So thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to be at Nehemiah chapter 8. It's called the Lord's Day. It's not specifically addressing one or two services, but I believe there will be some things to encourage us. Give us a clear picture of what this is about. Nehemiah chapter 8. Give a little background as you turn there. If you have your Bibles, please open up to them. If you have your devices, pull up Nehemiah 8. I'm going to be reading out of uh, NASB version. And the Israelites were in transition, pretty much how we were in transition. They were in exile in Babylon for 70 years. 70 years, and many of them come back. And Nehemiah was entrusted to rebuild the nation again. And what he did first was rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. It took 52 miraculous days to get that done. And that was important to protect from physical dangers from the enemies. But Nehemiah's greater work was rebuilding the hearts of the people. Remember, brothers and sisters, it's never about the property. It's never about the building. It's always about God's people. 
You invest in God's people. Nehemiah knew this is the biggest job. So he employed Ezra, the scribe priest, to have a worship service. And Nehemiah 8 is where we start off. So please rise here. We'll be in Nehemiah 8, 1 through 12. This is God's word here. And this is a, this, this is a powerful, spirit-led worship service. You're going to see why. Verse uh, 1. And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it, from the square which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women and those who could understand. And all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which he had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Metatiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Masiah, on his right hand, and Pediah, Mishael, Machiza, Hashum, Hashbanana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left, left hand. I'm practicing that one all week. Ezra, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up, just like how we're doing right now. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. We agree, we agree. While lifting up their hands, then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Worship is taking place. Also, Yeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Yamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Masiah, Kelida, Azariah, Yozabad, Hanan, Peleah, the Levites, explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. What did these Levites do? They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Look at that. Now, verse 9, Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing, to, nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still. For the day is holy. Do not be grieved. Finishing up here. All the people, again, went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival. Why? Because they understood the words which have been made known to them. Pray with me, please. Father, I thank you for your word. Wow. What an event that must have been, Lord, to be there. Thank you for the work that you did in the hearts of the Israelites. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Point number one is this. On the Lord's day, all the people gather as one. And this whole phrase, all the people, that's mentioned 10 times in these 12 verses. 10 times. You think God is trying to get the point across? 10 times. And it says, all the people gathered as one man. Gathered as one man. This thirty to 50,000 Israelites who come back have gathered. All right? And what's interesting, this is one man means unified thought. 
They have the same purpose. They have the same desires. And, and it's, it's in verse 2 and 3, the Bible makes it clear that men and women were there. And anyone who could understand. Which well, this is pretty unique because going to Israel, it's still segregated. Men could decide that Jews and then the, the Jewish uh, uh, centers and the women go to this side. Even at the Whaley one, the left side, which is the bigger side for the men, and the smaller side for the women, they're, se- they're, they're segregated. So this must have been a big deal. Let's get everybody together. All right? And, and, and uh, the duration... <laughs> This is going to sound pretty drastic for you guys, but 6 a.m. to 12 noon, six-hour service. And some commentators think that the people stood the whole time while the word was being preached. Six hours. All right, and what's the request they have in verse 1? Bring the book, Ezra. This is why we're here. Bring the book. The people were hungry for God's word. They were in exile. That means they were prisoners of war in Babylon for 70 years. They didn't have the regular reading of the word. They didn't have opportunities to go to worship service to hear the word preached. They didn't have their own Bibles. They didn't have apps and and, and mobile devices to have the word on demand. So they were hungry. Give us the word. This is what we come here for. 50,000 people said, this is why we're here. And verse 5, look at what it says. All the people... Open the book, Ezra opened the book in sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. They were together. They were together, and then, and then uh, do you think this is excessive? You know, I mean, everyone was there standing up and, and hearing the word. I mean, I think to my old life, you know, I mean, on game day, people will come three hours before kickoff, tailgating, dressed in their stuff, some with painted face, and they'd be talking about the game. And then before 30 minutes prior to kickoff, they take their seats and get their beverages and watch and get ready, and they're still talking about the game. And as the game is going on, they're talking about the game, high-fiving about the game. And then the game is over, they're still talking about the game, and they go back to the parking lot, have some more food. And then the very next day, they wake up and get, send emails and texts out, did you, did you see the game yesterday? Just so I'm equal opportunity, I mean, I, I took my wife to a concert. And this concert, people were having dinner. People were there early. People were sitting there listening. And, expect, and afterwards, they're talking about the concert. They went to go eat afterwards, talking about the concert, and how awesome it was, how moving it was. We know how to do this. We know how to do this in our culture. As Pastor Ron talked about and he shepherded us, we know how to cheer and applaud for these things. And so there's something incredible that happens when people are together. There's the power in shared experiences. And I want to just, let's go to verse 4. This kind of a little bit for me, but why not? Ezra, the scribe, stood at a wooden podium, which he had made for, this, for the purpose. And as I look at that, I think about, this is the one thing that I asked for. And Brother Tommy Amada made a wooden a po, a po, a raised podium here, a pulpit with some stone on it. And I just wanted this. And, and I just think back now. There's power in shared experiences. Do you remember that time when um, Pastor Ron and Pastor Paul brought this 80-pound piece of furniture and plopped it in front of us? Do you remember that? We were together for that. Do you remember when Brother Albert Chong gave his testimony how the Lord saved his life? Do you remember that? I remember that. Do you remember the, for the first time you walked in and after retirement luncheon and, and there's this 
new look and, and purple lights and it's a little bit darker. Do you remember that? I remember that. These are powerful things that happens to bring people together when you share these experiences. That's why we go on family vacations. That's why sometimes there's no other friends or families that come. It's just us. We'll drive up the five freeway to, the, to Washington. We'll, we'll be fighting and stuff. We'll, we'll be threatening for, as I'm driving at 80 miles per hour. Hey, cut it out. We share, we'll go, hey, remember that coffee shop that we like to go to off the five freeway in Oregon? I mean, th these are shared experiences. This is how team is built. All the people, the Bible says, so point number one, all the people gather as one man, and all the people came together with an expectant attitude. Everyone came together with an expectant attitude. We are going to encounter the Lord today. This wasn't, all right, cool, I, got, I, I did my obligation for the day, now I'm done. I'm going to encounter Christ today. The people came expecting, Ezra, bring the book. The, people, the Bible says that they were listening with attentiveness to the law. We want to encounter the Lord today. Preach the word, Ezra. Point number two. On the Lord's day, all the people, not only all the people gather as one, but the people worship the Lord as one. Let's look at verse six. Then Ezra, in, in a prayer, he blessed the Lord, the great God. And what did all the people do? And all the people answered, amen, amen. We agree or we agree. Those are your words, Ezra, but there are our words too. We're co-signing on that. Yes, the Lord is great. And then look what, what all the people do. While lifting up their hands, they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They're worshiping God together. All the people. What? is worship. What is worship? I like this definition I found on my computer software, but it starts with God. It always starts with God. It doesn't start with man. It's not a man-centered approach. It's a God-centered approach. This is for you, Lord. And let me give you this one definition. Worship is our voluntary, conscious expression to God of his worthy greatness and goodness. He deserves it. It arises from our knowledge and awareness of him. You come in to those, uh, through those doors and drive, as you drive to uh, our church campus thinking, I'm going to encounter God and I'm going to offer him up worship today. Your mind and your heart right to do this right now. All other things are outside the door. I'm in. I'm checked in now. This is for the Lord. I mean, even in the concert, when someone sings their heart out, and like, we're moved to emotions. We know how to do this. We've engaged with that performer. When an athlete makes a great play, we're like, whoa, it gets up on our feet. We're clapping. We're cheering. We're moved to emotion because we see something special there. Are we aware of God's greatness right now? The Lord's Day is about giving the worship God deserves. This is about God. It starts with God, and it is for God. Let me move on to point number three. Point three, I'll stay, I'll camp out here for a little bit. On the Lord's day, all the people not only gather as one, not only they worship the Lord as one, but they set the day apart as holy. They set the day apart as holy. Verses 9, 10, and 11 says that this day is holy. Three times, 9, verse 9, verse 10, verse 9. This day is holy. This day is holy. This day is holy. 
the Bible claims. So whenever it's a repetitive theme, you know it's important. Like, even if it says it once, but if there's repetition three times, and why was it holy to the Jews? It was holy because the Feast of Booths was happening the next day. In essence, the Feast of Booths was a commemoration of when uh, when, uh, Israel was freed out of Egypt out of a house of slavery. So why is this day, the Lord's Day, holy then? If they celebrated the Feast of Booths that way, because I'm no longer a slave in Egypt, it's like saying I'm no longer in the tyranny of the, uh, the, uh, the British Empire. How much more we're freed from sin? We're sons and daughters. That's why the Lord's Day is holy. Holy, what does that mean? It means set apart, removed from common use. Do we treat the Lord's Day as the same as Monday through Saturday? Do we do that? Do we do that? If so, it isn't holy to you. It's just another day. And by the way, I go to church. Think about this, my brothers and sisters. I want you to think deeply about this. Why is the Lord's Day holy Exodus 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We no longer celebrate on a, uh, we do a Sabbath on a, the seventh day. We do on the first day because the Lord resurrected. We celebrate his resurrection. He took us back to our, 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 our fellowship with him because of the Lord's day. This is a day where we disconnect from the rigors of, of the world. I mean, we're all of us are inundated with the world. Sports, work, school, uh, social life, we're humming and running all over the place. But this is the one day we disconnect so that we can focus, refocus on Christ. Are we taking full advantage of that? This is what the Lord's Day is for, to worship and celebrate his resurrection. This is what this is. God graciously gave us a day to refocus. And I want to talk about one of my role models. I mean, he had an impact on me, and uh, I don't know him. He's no longer alive, but a guy named Eric Little. And I was talking to my children about Eric Little this week a lot. And he is a role model. I like him to have, have similar role models I do. And Eric Little was a man who died in 1945 during World War II in China. Eric Little was a, uh, from Scotland. Eric Little was a famous athlete in 1924. 1924, did the Paris Olympic Games. All right, and he was one of the fastest at, uh, runners for Great Britain. And so he had the 100-meter dash, right? Some, many of us will know this story. He finds out, he's a Christian, he finds out that one of the qualifying heats for 100 meters is on a Sunday, the Lord's Day for him. And he goes, I can't run. And they try to talk him out of it. The powers that be said, are you crazy? This is for the Olympic gold. This is for your country. This is for the King of England. What, what's wrong with you? He goes, no, I, I just can't. Now, I get it. We don't hold to that view where, I mean, I, I coach in a Super Bowl on a Sunday, so we don't hold to that. However, what does it say about how some people view how holy the Lord's Day is? We may not be there with him, but are we kind of like, all right, I got it done, now I could treat this as, as another Saturday? Where are we at on that? Eric Little was right there. And he ended up running the 400 meters, which is a completely different race, and not his strong suit. He wasn't even built for that, but God blessed him. He won the gold medal still. Is the Lord Day set apart in your heart? Do you use it in a common way? Is it holy? Now, when you treat the Lord's Day holy, something happens, I believe. What does the Lord's Day do to you is a question I have. 
It is designed to, hear me out, sanctify you, make you more holy. If you treat the day holy because your Lord is holy, God will sanctify you and become, help you become more like him. Let me explain. Verse 9, it says, For all the people were weeping. They, were, they heard the, 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 the word of God preached, and they're weeping. They're weeping. They're convicted of sin. They knew they're encountering a holy God. Say, whoa, I'm a sinner. How does this work? You're holy, and I'm not. I'm, we, haven't been, we haven't been faithful to what you commanded. They were all convicted. They're weeping. How? When they heard the words of the law. When they heard the word of God preached by the power of the Holy Spirit, they're convicted, and they're crying. Does this happen to you and me? when we hear spirit-infused preaching. And what is preaching? I, I, we need to cover this. We're in transition. We need to cover the basics, the fundamentals of what, what the Lord's Day is all about. Verse 7, second part. These Levites, I'm not going to go through those names again, but these Levites explain the law to the people while, they, while the people remained in their place, just like right here. They explained it. Preaching is explaining the Word of God. They, verse 8, they read from the book or the scroll from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Translating, in, in other words, means to break up, make clear, explain, make distinct. What does the word of God mean when the spirit-filled author penned it however many years ago? There's only one meaning to scripture. Perhaps many, multiple applications, but only one meaning. This is what preaching is. Preaching is teaching and explaining what the scriptures mean. This is what gets me out of bed at, in the morning. This is why I fly out. This is what we love to do. We study the scriptures and we preach it. We teach it. Six times in this chapter, it talks about understanding and explaining. And I want to explain a little bit something about, about um, the Christian life. The Christian life is not a, a life of, of confusion. It's about clarity. Right, what do I mean by that? The, the words of the Bible are understandable. You study it. You sit under good preaching. You understand what the scriptures say. All right, this is not some mindless superstition. That's paganism. That means like I don't quite understand. I'm just going along with it. You understand what the scripture is saying. It's logical. It's very understandable. Our Christian religion is very much logical. Now, I want to say this much. There's a lot, huge part of teaching. You can't preach without teach, but preaching is more than just teaching. Look to verse 3 here. Verse 3 says, He read from it. This word read is kara in the, in the Hebrew. Kara means to shout, to read aloud, to summon, to proclaim, to preach. And what does that mean? Preaching, there's passion in preaching. There's in enthusiasm in preaching. There's a sense of urgency in preaching. There's a call to action in preaching. There's a call to conviction of sin in preaching. And all the people, verse 3 says, they were attentive to the law. Let me explain a little bit more what preaching is. Martin Lloyd-Jones, another role model, and I remember he's, he's no longer alive. He preached in like the like 1920, late 1920s to 1981. He died in 1981 in England. 
you're asking me, why are you learning about all these guys? Well, I mean, when I was a player or as a coach, you want to be a good player, you hung out with the good players, you know? If you want to be a great preacher, you sit under preachers, whether they're alive or not. You sit under their teaching. Martin Lloyd-Jones, they call him the doctor. You know why? Because he used to be a physician. And he was in line to be the physician of the royal family in England. So he was on the fast track. And basically, Martin Lloyd-Jones said preaching is like fire. Fire has elements of light and heat. Light is this. Light is knowledge applied to the mind. You have to understand what the scripture is saying to have grown your faith. It's not just, oh, I hear, I don't get it, and I leave. You have to understand. It hits your mind. Heat is truth that's burned and seared into your hearts. So preaching is light and fire. If it's just light, it's all head knowledge. If it's just all heat, it's just emotion without any truth. It doesn't work. It has to be both. Preaching is both. You need both. He called preaching logic on fire. And it says this, preaching is theology coming through a man who is on fire. This is what a preacher sounds like and looks like in their own style. We all have different styles. But when they heard Ezra preach, they're moved to conviction. They're weeping. They're crying. They're saying, oh, no. Oh, no. And all the people were in this disorder. And, and, but the, the Levites and Nehemiah and the priests were saying, hey, look, verse 10, be comforted. It's okay. This day is holy. This day is holy. Be comforted. The joy of the Lord is your strength. In essence, he was telling the Jews, don't worry. I know you're in exile, but you're still God's chosen people. God hasn't forgotten about you. You're going through a hard time right now. You're still God's chosen people. God has not forgotten his covenant promises to you. Now for us Christians, no matter what you're going through, maybe you're struggling in some sin right now. Maybe you've looked at the Lord's day as not set apart. God says this, the gospel is enough. The joy of the Lord is your strength, meaning Christ is enough. I know you're in sin, but I still love you. You're still mine. I'm holding on to you. You're not going to get away from me. So therefore, we can repent. The joy of the Lord is, is Christ, the greatest source of joy in your life. Be honest now. This Christ gave you the greatest joy. It's just not about head knowledge believing. It's about treasuring, delighting in Christ. Is Jesus the greatest treasure of your life? You could have other treasures, but they are like trinkets compared to Christ. This is what we're aiming for here at Evergreen SUV, brothers and sisters. Just so I'm very clear, this is the culture that we're praying for, aiming for. We're shooting for the stars here. We're going for it here, brothers and sisters. This is what's worth it. To see sanctified men and women loving Christ. Preaching is like spiritual heart surgery. Jesus asked Peter, remember as he restored him, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? That was, that was his question. It's about loving Christ. We love from our hearts. So the preacher uses the word of God as a scalpel and cuts away, cuts away and just performs spiritual heart surgery to grow our affections for Christ. That's what a, a faithful preacher does. Man-centered preaching, meaning it's about your self-esteem, means it's about your happiness, it's about this, is spiritual or pastoral malpractice. I want to be faithful. Preach the word so that it raises your elevation and raises your affections for Christ. 
This is what this whole thing's about. This is what this culture of our church needs to be about. It needs to be about loving Christ. And there's something about, there's a revival that took place in Jerusalem here. Boom, they're in transition, but boom, a bomb just went off in Jerusalem. Exploding in the hearts of the people. People were weeping. People were weeping. And there was a revival in Jerusalem. The, the, the doctor, the good doctor makes a house call in Evergreen today. The doctor says, what is that always heralds the dawn of a re- reformation or a revival? Question mark. It is renewed preaching. Not only a new interest in preaching, but a new kind of preaching. A revival of true preaching has always heralded these great movements in the history of the church. Think about when the church was born in Acts. Peter and Paul preached. They preached Christ. It's preaching. Preaching the word. In the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther, Jonathan, uh, uh, John Calvin, John Knox, they preached. In the Great Awakening in our American history, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, the West, they preached. They preached Christ. This is what, how revival happened. This is how people, the culture of the area changed. So what is revival? What is revival? Pastor, what are you talking about? What has this got to do with us? What is revival? Revival is increased spiritual interest in Christ. The Lord's Day. I'm going to worship Christ. That's the mentality. I'm going to encounter him through spirit-filled preaching. Therefore, I will love Christ more. Therefore, I will become more like him. That's the aim. This is what we're shooting for, brothers and sisters. And I want to give a word of encouragement here. I've got a few more minutes here. Eric Little, he was most famous by the world for giving up the 1924 Olympic opportunity. We understand that, right? I mean, we understand the weight of that. You don't have to be a Christian to understand that. But he sacrificed to honor the Lord. All right? He had, he had strict convictions for the Lord's day. Like I said, he, held, he got massive pressure. I mean, the Olympic Committee, I think even royalty got involved and said, hey, what's wrong with you? you, you isn't it king and then God? Like, 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 what are you doing here? You're letting Scotland down. You're letting England down. I mean, that's massive pressure for a young man to take from some very prominent people. But you got a note of encouragement from, from a masseuse on, on the track team or on the Olympic team, and he handed him a note where everyone else was against him. It said this. In the old book, talking about the Bible, it's from a Christian, it says, He that honors me, I will honor. <laughs> Wishing you the best of success. So this, this man quoted 1 Samuel 2.30. And in like fashion, your pastor wants to hand you a note of encouragement. All right? Right now, if you're struggling with, you know, I, I get it. I'm calling for a certain commitment to our church family. I get it. For some, it could be very challenging. Change is hard. And I get that. But I hear this very clearly now. This is meant to minister to those who are going through a hard time with this. I'm not saying everyone is, but for those of us who are. The Lord will honor a sacrifice meant to honor him. And Eric Little ended up getting a gold medal in the 400 meters in the most unlikeliest ways. I mean, I'm, and, and, and he sacrificed his chance to run his best race. But right now, if you're sitting here confronted with your pastor saying, you know what, I'm calling you to sacrifice maybe flexibility, 
scheduling options, maybe even sporting or recreational things that happen after or during church time. Perhaps you're sitting here, man, this is how it's used to, it's always been this way. I'm used to this. This is church tradition. This is how I am. This is what it is for the last four decades. Maybe you're sitting there right now. I, I, I want to be compassionate towards these. I want to be charitable to these things. I, I think these are real things that perhaps some of us may be going through. Maybe, many of us commute. Some of us commute. This is a commuter church for the most part. Some of us come from Laguna Beach, Huntington Beach, West L.A., Van Nuys. I mean, we, many of us come from far places, Torrance, South Bay. You may not receive an Olympic medal, okay? You're not going to receive an Olympic medal, okay? You're not. You're not. But you're going to get something more valuable that Eric Little got. God, I believe, will increase and elevate your love for Christ. If you are a Christian, that's what you want. That's what you want. This is what you dream about. This is what you want. This is what you think about. You fantasize about, I want to love Christ. I want to become more like Christ. And, if he, and, and in that moment, although it's a small concession, it isn't like a giving up an Olympic medal, per se. It is still a cost. God honors those things. And before you know it, you'd be sacrificing more and more because the Lord's Day would be real to you. And then all of a sudden, Monday becomes like the Lord's Day. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday becomes the Lord's Day. Friday, Saturday becomes like everything's for the Lord. But let's start off with one day set apart. It'll launch you. It'll, it'll absolutely launch you into the next stratosphere for your love for Christ. And then fourthly, I want to just final point. On the Lord's Day, all the people now only gathered as one, worship the Lord as one, set the day apart as holy, rejoice as one. Look what happens. They're convicted. They're crying. They're like, oh, no. Oh, no. And the preacher says, I'm going to comfort you. In verse 12, God is still with you. Verse 12, all the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions to those who couldn't afford things, and to celebrate a great festival, the Feast of Booths. Why, pastor? I don't have any words to encourage anybody. But the word of God is life-giving because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Isn't that clear? It's about understanding. And my commitment to the church family, I'm tirelessly, I am committed to this, to improve as a preacher and to be as dominant of as a preacher as I can. This is what I'm committed to, and I'm grateful for your support in doing this. It's to help you understand, to give you light and fire. Heat you up with the word. And, and the, the people rejoiced. They, were, they didn't leave mourning. They were celebratory. We should leave today knowing that the gospel is sufficient. Christ is enough. No matter what's going on in your life, even if you are in some kind of sin that you need to repent of, and you can repent of because Christ loves you so much. When you know the Word more, you know the Lord more. And when you know the Lord more, you will love Him more because you'll know His love for you. And when you love Him more, you will become more like Him. That's how this works. It's very logical. Just like the Scriptures are very logical, you understand it. And it elevates you from one level 
to the next. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the Lord's day. Thank you that the Lord's day is holy. Thank you that you set it apart, that you set up a day for us to focus on you, Lord, to focus on the treasures that you provide for us, the treasure that you are, Lord Jesus. So, Father, no matter where we're at right now as a people, I pray, Lord, that we'll be honest in our approach to the Lord's day, if it's just another day or set apart from common use. So, Father, I pray you grow us where we're at. If we need to repent, I pray we repent right now and, and we celebrate and rejoice because your grace is greater than our sin. You graciously gave us your word so that we can be corrected. You graciously had Ezra preach the word so that the people could get back on track so they could be reminded that the day is holy, so they could be reminded the joy of the Lord is their strength and our strength. So, Father, I pray a prayer of blessings upon the people right now. May the people leave encouraged. May the people leave with a greater sense of identity in you. And I pray you elevate our view of the Lord's day as holy, set apart for you. And, God, I pray, Lord, that you will bless your church family here, we will have a Christ-centered culture. We will love you more and more corporately and individually. But corporately, this is who we talk about. This is why we gather. This is why we go on missions. This is why we serve. You're the reason why we study the Bible. You're the reason why we pray. You're the reason why we sing songs. Jesus, help us know the why always. You're the why before we start thinking about the hows and what's. It's you, Jesus. It's always been about you. Thank you, Jesus. You're incredible. You're incredible. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.